clap. I'm actually clapping with the monitors here. Anyway. <laughs> All right, so welcome to the Tour Gathered Catholic Podcast with Father Rob Kroll and me, Jim Fellows. Father Rob, happy Easter. Hey, happy Easter to you, Jim, and happy Divine Mercy Sunday. We happen Divine to be recording. Divine Mercy Sunday. Yeah, so that great devotion that is so popular now in uh, Catholic circles, even though it was only started, well, of course, Divine Mercy has always been with us. There's a strong current of that in the scriptures, and we've always emphasized it. But in its current form, this devotion to Divine Mercy is really only about 100 years old and uh, goes back to uh, St. Faustina, a Polish nun who had some visions from Jesus, and he asked her to kind of become an apostle of Divine Mercy. So I know a lot of a lot of people listening maybe even have the Divine Mercy image in their homes, and we see them in our parishes, and a lot of people that I know pray the uh, Divine Mercy chaplet. So, yeah, anyway. Possibly they listened to last week's podcast uh-huh. that we're now repeating. <laughs> no. <laughs> Sorry! I'm just so excited about it. Well, that's a good thing to be excited about, Father. I don't want to diminish your enthusiasm. Thank you. you But we do have a whole podcast on it, that's true. It's my job to be repetitive, (laughs) not yours. Oh, that's funny. (laughs) So um, we got some... uh, I've I've received some pretty good feedback on... uh, Actually, it was really good feedback on our episode on uh, St. Faustina. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, so that's always nice. And then I, I talked with, uh, a, a friend of mine. I've, we haven't, we haven't been in touch in a while, but, um, we've been friends for what, 25 years. Mm. Um, and, uh, I, I called to check in with him because he's having some health problems and he's, he's, uh, he says that he's been li- listening to our podcast and loving it. And he's a Protestant. Ah, so right. that's kind of fun. Yeah, that's a good sign that we're not alienating our our uh, brothers and sisters in Christ. So I was like, good. "Did we say anything bad about Protestants? No, I don't no, think we said anything so. bad. We, why would we say anything bad about Protestants? Right, that's not our, right. That's not our gig. That's not what we're about. <clears throat> so that was exciting to find out that uh, we we got a listener. And actually, um, the stuff that we're going to be talking today, I think, is very applicable across um, all uh, denominations. Right. Um, not just um, our Catholic faith. No, I think of all the podcasts we, we've done, this one today will be kind of the most, uh, the broadest, or yeah, it's not, it's the most least ecumenical? specifically Catholic and the most ecumenical. Jim, you, you just, you save me with these wonderful terms that I blank on. So yes, <laughs> indeed. And, I agree. and actually, this might even be, this podcast might even be kind of fostering interreligious dialogue because faithful Jews and devout Muslims can also relate to the fact that we live in a culture that is uh, increasingly hostile to traditional religion. So, well, so before we get gonna... into the topic, why don't we introduce, <laughs> introduce the topic? Okay, okay, let's do that. That was a little segue. I wasn't getting ahead of myself. That was a segue. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I thought you were, yeah. you were, okay, I thought you were starting in the middle. No, 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 no. Um, so yes, uh, today we're going to kind of base our podcast on a little booklet that uh, was recently published by the University of Mary, which is a Catholic, a relatively new Catholic university in uh, North Dakota. And the president of that university is Monsignor James Shea. 
And so uh, he writes a little preface to this book, and the book, he says, basically flowed out of some conversations that a group of uh, Catholic friends had together, and it's called From Christendom to Apostolic Mission, Pastoral Strategies for an Apostolic Age. And the main thesis of the book is that, in the West anyway, like Europe and the United States, for a long time, we have lived in what we would call a Christian, or in our case, in the United States, a Judeo-Christian culture that brings with it a whole set of assumptions and a whole vision of reality and of the world, and that, you know, for generations, we've kind of just assumed a lot of things um, because there's kind of steeped in a Judeo-Christian ethic and outlook. And, and what the contention of this book is that we are pretty well beyond that now, and we're now transitioning into a time uh, which is going to be a lot closer to the apostles' experience when they were sent out into a largely pagan and unbelieving world. And for several centuries, uh, the church was very much a minority and very marginalized. And, uh, and then, of course, it, it became more the the dominant religion of society in Europe uh, and in the West for many centuries. But his, you know, the claim of the book is that basically uh, that, that hold, that grip that Christianity has had on the minds and hearts of Western society is, is pretty well behind us. And, and that's, that's, you know, on one hand, we mourn that. There's, there's some disadvantages to that. But, but he wants to claim, or the book wants to claim, that um, it's also an exciting time, kind of a missionary time, when we can maybe preach the gospel uh, in a fresh way and, and this whole new evangelization that we've talked about before. So that's kind of, we thought we'd kind of, um, kind of talk about this book, because it's, it's getting a lot of press. Uh, it's being read in a lot of different Catholic circles, and I think a lot of people who read it are real excited about 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 it, and especially Your how seminarians well, are. Yeah, yeah. Even in fact, the the copy that I read and that I have in my hands here was given to me by a seminarian who loved it, and he's he bought multiple copies to share with other seminarians. And I think that's kind of what's happening is people are talking about it, um, and then they're sharing it with others. I know I saw on the internet that there are a lot of um, kind of young Catholic groups, uh, students, and young adult groups that are. Um, digesting this and kind of having, uh, you know, reading groups around it. So it seems to be something that is sparking people's uh, imagination and providing some hope at a time when I think a lot of us look around and we think, oh, you know, it's pretty, it's a pretty discouraging and dark time. And so we don't want to be Pollyannish about it, but, but we can say, well, the Lord's still with us and the church isn't going to disappear. It just needs to be ready for kind of a new mode of, uh, of operating. So. And the book talks about how this is a, a cyclical thing, that, that um, this isn't the first time that, that um, I mean, th- the basis, the conclusion of, of their um, book is that we are, uh, uh, we are in a different mode now right. than we were 50 years ago, as far as the, you know, the Christian community goes. Right, right. But well, like you said, it's not the first time. I mean, really, it wasn't until at least the fourth, fifth century that Christianity kind of became the dominant um, religion and then provided kind of the dominant uh, moral code for, you know, Europe especially and eventually for the United States. But uh, in those early centuries, um, you know, the church was really fighting against um, a largely pagan society. And so 
Now, what's kind of new, though, I think, is that after many centuries of being kind of the dominant world vision, or not maybe not world vision, but in the West, kind of the dominant sure. worldview in the West, you know, that now we're, we're kind of losing that. And, that, and so that, that's maybe the newness of it, is that we've, we've kind of had a, had a Christendom situation, Christendom referring to the kind of that, the fact that Christianity influenced society so much in so many ways, in, in its, um, not just in its religious practice, but also in its ethical and moral, moral code, in, in the way um, it shapes society through laws and policies, uh, through its artistic uh, and cultural achievements, you know, all those different ways. And so now, you know, we're, that's kind of uh, like more, there's a more uh, secular culture, a more secular outlook that's on the rise, and um, and it's kind of displacing a, the largely Christian outlook. And so anyway, yeah, there's kind of a battle going on for the hearts and minds of people right now. And, and So just to clarify, I just, I just want to it's like you and I have been pretty immersed in the book and we're talking to a bunch of people who have, may not have heard of this book. Right. Um, but Christendom, um, the way it, it's, 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 it's suggest and correct me if I'm wrong. Um, Christendom is, 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 is basically describing, um, what was widely held as Judeo Christian beliefs mm-hmm. that, you know, were, um, and the, the were the basic tenets of how we were going to set up structure, and and everybody accepted that, whether they right. were Christian or Jewish or not. Right. They they all were like, well, yeah, I'm not Christian, but this is a pretty good thing to believe in, or at least on some level, maybe they weren't saying that actively. Right. Right. But everybody was pretty much going along with. Right. Um, these are the things that are going to influence our culture. Right. And and one of the things that I find interesting about this is the author says basically that this is largely unconscious. You know, that's that's a big part of it. Is right. There there isn't a lot of like reflective reflective thought about this. It's just kind of assumed. It's just kind of like in the air we breathe. And so, like you said, even a a Jewish person or a non Christian person in this culture would would just kind of by osmosis still be influenced because of the fact that Christianity was the backbone of society. And, and, and the claim, too, is that a lot of this Christendom um, notion gets incarnated in institutions. And those aren't just religious institutions, again. I mean, they certainly include, like, liturgy and church buildings and art and all that and music. But it, it's also in just the way, like, law is practiced or the way that laws are, are passed and the way that the society maybe tries to care for the poor and, and who is the poor and so forth. So it's a whole, like, um, mentality that is largely unexamined and unreflexive and a few people do analyze it and explore it, but most people, it's just kind of taken for granted. And I think that's what we're seeing today. You know, if you talk about this apostolic era now, there's a whole nother vision of humanity, of what the good life is, of what is morally good and morally bad. Like, there's a whole new vision that is kind of being um, shared. And, and even Christians today, even those that call themselves Christian, are largely influenced by this more secular, um, uh, romantic, uh, materialistic, scientific culture that is, is kind of pushing Christianity to the margins. So before before yeah. we get into the apostolic mm-hmm. mode too yep. much, I I, I, I want to get a couple points across about uh, the Christendom. The Christendom, mode. yeah, mm-hmm. and and the main one being that because of the fact that it was accepted 
that a lot of these um, beliefs were accepted in the secular world and in, in, in the U.S. or wherever we're going to talk about. Um, we didn't have to work hard for right. it. Mm-hmm. It was just a part of our lives. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't. I may have been ignoring you, and you may have said that already. Um, I said it more but, eloquently, but it's okay for you to repeat it. Remember, you're the king of repetition, so you have to do that. That's right. I'm the one who repeats stuff. <laughs> But but things because things were generally accepted, we didn't have to. Catholics or Christians didn't have to work for it, right? And it just became kind of we be, we became kind of passive mm-hmm. in the whole thing because we didn't need to work for it, right? And it's not necessarily a bad thing if everybody's on the same page, then we don't have to. Do, but we're not on that anymore. No, no. That's a really good point, though. Is that you're kind of highlighting both advantages and disadvantages of Christendom? I mean, one of the advantages is the fact that since it's kind of the, the water. It's like a fish doesn't really think about the water it's swimming in. It just swims in it and enjoys it. So like when you grow up in a Christendom kind of culture, you know, you're positively influenced by Christianity's, you know, beliefs and all these different ways in which Christianity is shaping your mind and your heart, and that's a really good thing. But like you said, you don't personally necessarily have to invest in it that much or you can you can become you just kind of take it for granted and then you become maybe kind of lukewarm whereas you know in in a day in an age like today uh, where we're entering into um you know to be a, to be a serious christian or a devout christian is going to be much more something you have to choose consciously you're going to be going against the grain in a lot of ways of the larger culture which means you're going to be challenged more and you're going to have to stand up for what you believe and articulate it and and that's a really good thing too. You know, that's I mean, the ideal of course would be to have a Christendom culture but one in which the gospel is still really fresh and everybody in that culture is totally on board and can talk about it in intelligent ways, blah blah blah, but you know, that that just doesn't really happen very much. So Well, and that's yeah. not our culture now. No, no. For sure, not now. So the book is stating and declaring and I think is actually correct in this. Mm-hmm. Um, in the fact that we are living in a secular humanist society, right, which right. does not, I mean, we used to be uh, influenced by Christian beliefs and right. Judeo-Christian beliefs, and now we're influenced. That our culture is influenced by um, uh, secular humanism, right? Which is right. no God whatsoever, right? right. That is, uh, it, it's, it's, uh, and it's, it's becoming more and more. Like you said, it, it can be. Uh, cause for despair because it's becoming more and more negative. For example, and I was just looking at this last night and, uh-huh. and it's, it's, it didn't, I didn't mean for this to be tied into our podcast, but it's a great tie and tie into it. Um, there is a Texas, uh, congressman called Dan Crenshaw. Okay. Um, he, uh, he, uh, used to be a Navy SEAL. He's, uh, he's a Republican, uh, congressman. Um, he represents te- Texas uh, second con- congressional district. Um, he has done five tours of duty. Um, in his third tour, he had um, an IED um, blow up in front of him and destroy the vision in his right eye Yikes. and um, uh, did serious damage to his left eye where he's needed multiple operations to mm-hmm. Now I don't know much about his politics. I know he's a conservative. I know I don't know what he's gotten into or whatever. 
Um, that's a little history on represent uh, on Dan Crenshaw. So he puts out a tweet yesterday saying that he's going to be um, under the under the radar for a few weeks because he's developing spots in his his left eye and he's going to need surgery. Mm-hmm. And I'm reading through the responses, and and there's thousands of responses, mm-hmm. and over ninety five percent of them are um, good. You deserve it. Really? Yes. Oh my goodness. And that's the result of our society yeah. and having its base in secular humanism. Yeah. There is no sense and and it, it's 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 influencing our cancel culture. There's no mm-hmm. such thing as empathy. There's no such thing as forgiveness. And I don't care. I mean, we're, we don't get political here. I don't care what the guy's politics yeah. are. He's done more uh, to defend our country. Right. Than than any of the people, the thousands of people that were were uh, responding to his tweet. Right. He's done more than all of them put together, most likely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's 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 sacrificed his sight, you know, to to defend our country, and right. and, and it's just it's just shocking that, right. that right. people will take the stand up. Well, good. I'm glad you got hurt. I hope you I hope you lose your eye. Wow. I hope you're blind. That's and, sad. And it is. It's. Yeah. Horrific. Yeah, yeah. But that's our society today. And I right. read that. I, I started seeing that in in conjunction with um, the book that we're reading, and I'm like, "Yep, that's mm-hmm. exactly right." Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's that's a good illustration of it. And yeah, and just to clarify too that when we're talking about these two different modes of seeing the world, you know, Christendom, and then a more the book talks about it as a modern progressive way of seeing. You know that that we're not talking just in political terms here, but we're talking about just a set of values that everybody, you know, liberal, conservative, independent. I mean, we're all kind of influenced by this at one level or another. You know, it's just again kind of the air in which we breathe. I mean, the book intends that it was around World War One that the um, kind of Christendom culture began. Really, was over in Europe. But, but that for the two centuries before that, in the whole Enlightenment time, so like, you know, 17th, 18th, uh, 19th centuries, that there was a big debate, you know, and, and there was a battle going on already. So by the time World War I came around, Christendom was largely, you know, over. Um, I wonder if it would be helpful, it might be helpful just to kind of maybe pick a few major traits and contrast them between these different visions of things that Christendom and then kind of the more uh, progressive, you know, modern way of, of seeing things, just as a way of, I mean, it's a little bit um, schematic, or it's a little bit unfair to maybe reduce it to these black and white terms, but I think, I think it gets at the essence of what we're talking about. So, you know, for example, just like God, the whole issue of God, right? I mean, obviously, in Christendom, God is taken for granted, and this is a particular kind of God. I mean, he's a God who is all love and all mercy, but also a God who is all just. Um, he's a God that you know, gives us commandments and and beatitudes, and so there's a whole moral code that kind of flows from this religion. You know, today, um, one of the main traits of our modern secular humanist culture, as you put it, is that God is, if not outrightly, flatly denied, God is certainly marginalized. He's, you know, basically irrelevant, um, and spirituality, therefore, doesn't become—religion and spirituality— are not really about following divinely revealed truths and commandments and so forth. It's a kind of this nebulous, vague, 
you know, thing that you, you can kind of do whatever you want. I mean, you, whatever form of spirituality works for you, great. So it's highly relativistic. Um, so just on the whole issue of God, which, you know, for, for Christians is, is sort of the, the place where everything begins and, and where everything is headed, you, you know, if you, if you kind of deny God's existence or treat God as if he's irrelevant, then, I mean, obviously that's going to have a huge impact on everything else. Um, you know, another thing that I think, along with that denial of God, is also the denial of sin, you know. In the traditional Christian vision of things, we really mucked it up. You know, God made the world beautiful and good, as Genesis says. He creates Adam and Eve, the human race, as his children in his image. And then we go off, and through our sin, you know, we seriously uh, distort ourselves, the world, how we see God. And and that hell, therefore, is a real place. It's a real possibility, and we've talked about that in other podcasts. You know, basically every human being is faced with a choice between heaven or hell, and that puts a lot of drama and a lot of bite into our lives. But in the modern vision of things, if there's no real God, you know, there isn't really either a hell. That's kind of a fairy tale or fantasy. So then, you know, there isn't, I mean, then then things lose their, their bite and drama, and it's just kind of like trying to eke out, you know, as best a, a life as you can here and um, but the eternal world and the invisible world of God and demons and angels and heaven and hell, all of that just kind of evaporates. And no wonder we're kind of bored then as a culture. Well, it doesn't evaporate. Yeah. It's denied. Well, it's denied, it's just yeah. like mm-hmm. it's, 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 it's not like, you know, it, it's... The, the, the thing about it is, and this is the thing that just uh, strikes me every time, um, is that in... in you know, when we were affected by, you know, when our society was supported by uh, Judeo-Christian ethics, mm-hmm. um, th- there were things that were um, we all accepted, like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a traditional family is a good thing, right? Um, getting married is a good thing, right? Right. And in the secular humanist society, um, people are are d- declaring formally. That they can define their own existence mm-hmm. any way that they see fit. Exactly. And 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 I see that, and I see people actually saying those words, and I'm thinking, that's the exact same thing that was pitched in the Garden of Eden. Yeah. That's what the that's what the serpent was selling. Right. And right. he's just polished a, he's just polished his pitch a little bit. You will be like gods. Yeah. yeah. I'm gonna yeah. make. I'm gonna define my own reality. I'm gonna right. define my own universe. Right. And you can't tell me how to do it, right? Right. And you know, the other thing that that yeah. that, that uh, gets me gets me going. There's it's like people will come back and they'll be like, "Well, you know, there there are multiple ways to love and care for each other." It's like, okay, sure. You know, you don't you don't have to be married to love one another and to support one another and to be nice to each other. But marriage is still the best route to do that. Yeah. And and but today the definition is everything's the same, and in fact mm-hmm. yours is probably a little bit less than mine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. To stay with that whole marriage analogy, because the book also highlights this. Like, just think about, for example, a young Catholic couple today that are, let's say, they're in college, they're dating, then they get engaged. You know, maybe they're young young adults, and they decide they want to get married. I mean, the traditional Catholic understanding is that first of all. Um, you stay chaste until marriage, um, and then, you know, within marriage, you, you know, practice that openness to children, and you welcome children as a gift. 
Um, you go, of course, through a, a Catholic marriage ceremony, in, which is a sacrament for us. So just think about how countercultural that is today, when, first of all, a lot of people don't even get married to begin with. If they do, um, you know, divorce is seen as always a possibility. It's not seen as a lifelong commitment uh, till death do us part, as Catholics see it. It's and not then, a covenant. It's a contract. It's not a covenant. No, it's just a contract. A good, yeah, excellent. And, you know, if there are, I mean, then the children, you know, well, we'll decide how many we want, if we want any at all. You know, we'd maybe rather get a dog or a cat than have a child, you know. And so there's a, I think it's just more of a selfish uh, approach to things. And, um, and if and if you do get pregnant and the child is seen as a burden, well, let's just get rid of it, you know. And again, in many for throughout most of human history, that would have been seen as a horrible act. Today, it's legally protected. Um, and of course, it isn't traditional marriage between a man and a woman. It's marrying whoever you want. Uh, so yeah, like you said, once you once you kind of let go of of a traditional view which says that God is the one who determines objective reality, and our job is to conform to it. Once, it's, once we're the gods and we can kind of create meaning and create morality, well, then anything goes, you know? And, uh, and it's sad because, you know, traditionally freedom, I mean, still today, what, what Catholics would say is authentic freedom is precisely submitting our will to the will of God and conforming ourselves to truth as God reveals it. Like that sounds today in the culture like very oppressive and, and backwards, but it's actually the path to true freedom. When you look at our culture, which you know lifts up freedom as this huge value, but you see how people pursue it and they want to create their own freedom, well, they end up just being enslaved, whether it's by technology, by drugs, by sexual activity. And there's just a lot of really enslaved people around us, and well, it's by sad. sin. Yeah, right. There, when you choose to go away from God, you're automatically choosing sin. There's no in-between. Right, right. It, it's just it's one or the other. Yep, yep. And and the, the, the critical thing about the book is that we have moved from um, uh, Christendom into a secular humanist society. Therefore, we need to have an apostolic vision, which is a lot more proactive right. than what we were, what society was doing fifty years ago. Right, right, and and it's kind of exciting. It's like the book's trying to present it as this exciting adventure. But the reality is, you know, we're kind of in a transition still. I mean, we're not, you know, Christianity is still in some ways quite influential. So we're not really totally in the apostolic age, but we're no longer in the full Christendom age. And so that's what's kind of, what I think what the book is saying is one of the things that makes our current age difficult is many of us are still operating out of a Christendom mentality when in fact um, we're not yet fully in this apostolic dimension. Now, what will that look like? You know, who knows? I mean, uh, I don't know how small the church is going to get. I don't know how many of the church's parishes and schools and hospitals are going to end up being abandoned, you know. But, I mean, it's not like we probably won't literally go back to the time of the first three centuries where we're being, you know, thrown to lions and we have no institutions. No. But we have to we have to use the institutions in a, in a different way. Um, to give you just one example, you know, um, I'm very aware. I'm 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 going to be 56 next month. I'm very aware that, like my life as a Catholic priest, has been quite different from the life that the seminarians that I'm working with are going to experience when they get ordained in a few years, and. Um, 
And so they're going into a world where, for example, they're going to have to work a lot harder than I did at creating a priestly fraternity, at, at really like, like living a life where they're not alone. I mean, now part of it, too, is I'm a religious, so a community life is kind of built into my way of, of uh, living and being. But, you know, it's gone are the days, the Christendom days, when you'd have five priests in a rectory and just so many right. priests in a presbyterate. You know, now these guys are going to have to really be very intentional and conscious about forming bonds with fellow priests. They, I, I think they're going to have to—we're probably going to see maybe that they live together, uh, maybe a whole in a whole part of the diocese. The priests will live together in a, in a building, in community, and then they'll go off and minister in their parishes rather than each of them living alone in a rectory, which, let's face it, that's pretty— unhealthy or it's just not very attractive, you know? So that's just one small example. But I mean, I think, um, uh, yeah, the way we preach, the way we teach, it's just, it's just going to have to be a lot different. We're, we're not going to be able to presume anymore that people even know basic d- doctrines about God or about the human person, human nature, the sacraments, any of that. It's going to be like, nobody knows anything. Let's just, let's just start from ground zero, you know? Well, I think that the, the book is, is pretty clear that um, it's. I think that its primary focus is directed towards um, priest formation, mm-hmm. um, but I think there's a ton of stuff that can be gleaned for um, the laity oh, as totally. well. Right. And, right. And and it's not just sitting around waiting for the apostolic vision to appear, but actually participating in the apostolic vision right now yes yes like going out there and and how do we do that right what's uh what's uh, you know being in christendom we can kind of relax a little bit Mm -hmm. we can we can uh we don't have to fix what's broken Mm -hmm. because it wasn't broken right but or not as broken as it is now it was always broken but it was a a lot better than we, we we had a commonality back then sure now we don't Right. So, you know, it's not just, you know, like you mentioned before, um, we are all called to be uh, priest, prophet, and king. Um, so we need to be called to this apostolic vision and, and um, be proactive in it. And one of the jobs that I have as a priest is to, like, inspire and motivate the laity to take up that call to holiness and evangelization. Because you're right, in a Christendom culture, you got all these bishops and priests out there and nuns that they're kind of seen as the ones responsible for the ship, and we, the laity, we're just kind of, you know, the average person in the pew, and we're just along for the ride. It's like, nope, not anymore. I mean, right now, um, <laughs> the laity's got to step up and, and evangelize their families, their their workplaces, all of the world of political life, economic life. You know, that's a huge task of the laity. So that's one of the advantages of this apostolic age is the laity have to be, like you said, more proactive and less passive, um, and they can't just expect um, uh, church leaders to carry carry the day, you know? Well, so, I, I love the example that they use of the, the first apostolic um, age, um, which was, you know, the time <laughs> after... Uh, Christ departed the apostles. Right. And they go through a, a laundry list. Yeah, isn't that like awesome? How many bishops do we have? 11. <laughs> how many followers do we have? A couple hundred. Right. Um, right. And how, much, how much land do we own? Nothing. Yeah, church How much buildings. money do we have? Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> how many countries are we in? One. Right. <laughs> I know, I know. It's great. It's it was great the way they the it's start. listed as our resources, right? And and he's like they had nothing, right? <laughs> they had and yet nothing. Look, look look at the effect these first you know first disciples had in the world. I mean, it was amazing. right, right. 
and now we're we're in an apostolic mission right now, and we have a few more resources than um, the original apostles had. Although they got to hang out with Jesus, like you know, personally on a daily <laughs> right, basis, so right. that, that was that's that kind was of kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> kind of. Right. So how do we do that, Father? How do we uh, how do we uh, go out and 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 uh, support uh, as lay people? Yeah, not just priests. Um, the apostolic vision. What are we supposed to do? Well, you know, I think one of the things the book highlights is that it, it's really incumbent on each individual baptized Christian to take very seriously their call to holiness and to deepen their friendship with Jesus Christ. I mean, like, that has to be central. So that means everybody has to be praying. You know, everybody has to have some life of prayer. Everybody should be availing themselves of the grace of the sacraments, especially, you know, Sunday Eucharist, even more during the week, you know, adoration, and then going to confession regularly, for example. Um, I'm going to guess that our our current uh, demographic for our podcast would be like, well, duh. Well, right, right. (laughs) I don't think that's a real issue for these guys. Well, well, maybe. It might be. And, and, you know, as our podcast grows, maybe there'll be Yeah, maybe our podcast will be part of the apostolic outreach, you know. Well, I don't think maybe, Father. All right. (laughs) You don't think that this is a part of the apostolic vision? We'd love to have that. Yeah, I think so. Why not? Sure. Well, isn't that wasn't that our intention starting this whole thing? Yeah, I think it was. Yes, we talked about that. We did talk about that. So anyway, I think I think you know we're basically saying yeah, it's up to each one of us, and and that's you know that's daunting, but it's also really exciting. It's like none of us can just be seen as um, insignificant in this whole project, and. Yeah. So, uh, anyway, so prayer is internal and it's necessary and it's what we need to do. But now we, you know, what are the external things that? Um, well, I think I think also being able to like being willing to talk with relatives and coworkers about the faith, not in a way that's overly pushy or alienating, but in a way that's attractive. Maybe inviting people to go to church with you, inviting people to maybe consider reading, even like the book that we're reading together, you know, inviting people to maybe um, learn more about the faith. You know, as I say all that, I think about our evangelical brothers and sisters, and I, you know, we call them evangelical, so there's this evangelistic kind of thrust, and and I think in some ways, um, and that's why I think the evangelical Christians have been growing in places like Latin America, um, where the Catholic Church has been kind of declining, because I think, again, Latin America has been so traditionally Catholic for so many centuries that we're very slow to see that we can't just kind of do business as usual. Um, yeah, we got all these churches, we got all these institutions and schools, but uh, but unless the people within them, and by that I mean largely the laity, if they're not on fire with the mission and incarnating it and preaching it, well, it's just going to get lukewarm or it's going to disappear. So, you know, I think what the, the evangelical Christian often has that advantage over the Catholic in that he or she is, is personally, you know, we use that language of, do you have a personal relationship with, with your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Well, many evangelicals do, and they're willing to talk about it. They're, they're, they're on fire, they're joyful, they're willing to share it with others. Whereas Catholics, by and large, you know, part of, partly because it, it was a Christendom culture, they, they, they didn't take the the call seriously to go out and evangelize themselves. They figured that's the job of some other professional Christian, like the Pope or the bishop or the priest well, or the nun. And it's daunting. It's daunting for it the, the average layperson. And, well, right. and the, interesting, the interesting thing, the difference between the evangelicals 
and ourselves. I mean, specifically the evangelical Christians, mm-hmm. who I'm not faulting in any way, shape, mm-hmm. or form. But I've run into a lot of evangelical Christians who may not have a great depth of understanding of Scripture, even though their entire faith is based on sola scriptura. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and something that uh, we forget as Catholics is that even though it's not a big Catholic thing to go and read your Bible, although it's a great thing to do, and Father Mike Schmitz is helping people do that every day. Yep, year, um, a year. Um, but we hear over th- the course of three years of going to Mass, we hear over, what is it, like 95% of the Scripture readings? Over the, yeah, the, I think the, yeah, it's around 90, period? I think, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is, is it 90 or 90? Okay. So it's a lot. It's a lot. It's most of it. It's most and of it. we get the ending. We get how everything ends. <laughs> right. So that's right. the big part. True. But uh, but preaching, and they talk about in the book that we have to go out and preach the gospel. Yeah. yeah. Which is which which I think is, is daunting for a lot of people. Right. Um, I think the other thing that's daunting for people is that um, the fact that um, it, it's not. It's no longer a well. Um, you uh, see things one way, and I see things another way, and we're going to respect each other's opinion. It's um, the approach is if you don't agree with me in the secular humanist society, then you must be bad, or yeah. you must hate people. We're going to cancel you out. They will cancel you out if you um, believe in traditional marriage. You must hate gay people. Right, right, right. And nobody wants to be accused of that. No. I know no. I don't. Of course, like, of course. So so that gets daunting, and that gets... Well, and the so, thing is, too, we live in a highly emotive culture, so it's all about, like, sound bites and, and feelings, and, and, and it's like, it's hard to have a rational, in, intellectual debate. Because one of the things, you know, you were asking about what does a lady need to do in addition to prayer. Like, I think part of it is lay Catholics need to educate themselves more about the basic tenets of their faith so that they can actually talk about them in a way that's intelligent. And and that's hard, because people who oppose us, um, they often will accuse us in, of, in ways that are irrational, and you can't really debate them very easily. It just becomes an accusation, and and... You know, I can remember there's this video that's coming to mind now about a young priest in St. Louis. I mean, he was literally like just ordained a year or two. This is this was during the time of all of the toppling of statues and everything, if you know, a year ago, or whatever. And he was standing in front of a statue of St. Louis, uh, King Louis, you know, the patron of St. Louis. And he was trying, he, and, and one of the protesters actually gave him a megaphone so he could be heard, and he was trying to talk to them reasonably about who St. Louis was and why he was a good king and 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 he just kept getting shouted down and it was just accusations sound bites and he just he didn't really stand a chance because he was trying to engage his audience in kind of an intellectual uh, debate and they weren't really interested so that's another they thing that makes it challenging yeah. so, so i would suggest cuz we're running out of time and i'm yeah. going to throw out some ideas here then the the book is very adamant about preaching the gospel which again i think this book is more directed towards priests well it doesn't um, mean preaching just in terms of like Getting up and giving a sermon, though, I think. It's no. more broad than that, you know. But this is the point that I'm about to make. Okay, go for it. <laughs> <laughs> if we're talking about a true apostolic vision, um, Jesus, uh, in creating the apostles, the biggest things that they did, they went out and they preached the word. That's one. Mm-hmm. The other things that they did was, uh, the other things that they did were um, <laughs> uh, healing people. 
Mm-hmm. They spent, they, there was a, a ton of time where they're going out and they're actively trying to heal people. And mm-hmm. Jesus, we have uh, Jesus's account, and I've talked about this before because I'm Captain Redundant, um, where, <laughs> where Jesus uh, had um, 11, then 12 apostles. Um, but then he, uh, um, but he also healed, like, uh, we have 40 recorded incidents of Jesus healing people mm-hmm. and then thousands of people being fed. Yeah. So clearly the apostolic vision includes going out and healing people. And I think that's one of the best ways that we can preach the gospel. Mm-hmm. And I think mm-hmm. it's also one of the daunting things that people, um, are, are hesitant to do. I know right. a lot of people who are really good people who are like, I'm not um, capable of um, trying. Somebody's going through a crisis. I don't know what to do about it. So therefore, I'm not going to say anything to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, the things that I would like to point out in preaching the gospel is is that if you're going to minister to other people, if you're going to care for other people, yeah. Um, the word care and its Greek root kara um, means to cry with, mm-hmm. to grieve mm-hmm. with. Yeah. It doesn't. You're not fixing all their problems. We're not fixing all their... That's exactly right. The fear that we have is that we've got to go in and fix their problems. And that's not what heals them. Right. What heals them is to have somebody who is is willing to sit with them in their pain and let them express that. For example... Um, right now, and you know this, I haven't shared this on, on, on our podcast, but, um, but my mother is, is going through stage four uh, breast cancer right now, Mm -hmm. and she's making some very hard decisions and, um, it's, it's very, very hard on the family and it's a big focus for, Mm -hmm. um, for uh, me and Jen and, and, um, the leader of, um, our uh, men's group, my men's group. Um, critically acclaimed actor David Morse mm-hmm. um, actively calls me on a regular basis, mm-hmm. like like once a, in, in one, I don't know I don't know but it's a regular basis. Yeah. and the whole question is, how's your mom doing? How are you and Jen doing? Yeah, and we talk for a few minutes. But this is preaching the gospel. Yep, right there, exactly. That's preaching the gospel. Right. Um, the, there's there's a woman in in uh, Minnesota named Mary Jo Copeland. Who started caring and sharing hands and did this well before it was, uh, you know, anything popular? She be, she didn't become famous, but I've been there when I was in college and watched her um, wash the feet of homeless people and literally pull out maggots from yeah. their feet and legs. Wow! And that's preaching the gospel. Exactly, exactly. In fact, the book makes the point that the early pagans who hated Christians and threw them to the lions and all that, they were nonetheless hugely impressed by their care for each other, by their yes. care, the way they cared for one another. And, of course, they were very impressed by the martyrs who went to their deaths joyfully and with great courage. And while you and I and most of the people who are listening, you know, who are listening to this podcast are not going to be red martyrs, namely shedding our blood literally, we are called to be white martyrs. We're, we're called to exhibit a, a certain courage. And so that's another part of all this, too, is as we care for one another, as we preach the gospel, we're going to get opposed, and so we just have to be ready for that, and we have to be willing to, you know, kind of courageously and joyfully still go forward. So, anyway. I, th- yeah. I think I think that um, the difference between Christendom and uh, the apostolic vision is that we have to step out of our comfort zone mm-hmm. in the apostolic vision. Right, right. And, and people will, if you don't feel comfortable, like, 
um, uh, the preaching the actual words of the gospel and and sharing the um, the doctrines of the Catholic faith. But if you go and you are a comfort to someone, and you're intentional about it, mm-hmm. um, then then you are you are um, actively participating in the apostolic vision and the apostolic mission. And if I can add this, part of that comfort might even be praying uh, in the presence of the person. Sure. So many times, people that would not consider themselves religious at all, when when they're asked, "Can I pray for you?" they say yes. They're really touched by that. So to be able, you know, to have some comfort—that's another thing that I think most average Catholics are not comfortable doing. But it doesn't have to be complicated. You just um, maybe you just pray in Our Father or Hail Mary with the person before you leave. Maybe you add a few words of your own, but keep it—you know—you can keep it very simple. But let God inspire you in that. You know, the main message I want to leave—I mean, I guess the main thing I want to get across in our podcast today is because I, I probably like all of us. I look around and I can get pretty discouraged. Even though I'm a very sanguine person by temperament, you know, it's kind of discouraging to see um, just the way, the direction in which our largest society is moving. A lot of the moral, uh, you know, morality of the culture seems to be not what the, you know, Catholic Church certainly professes. Um, There's a lot of people that really could care less about our Catholic faith or are actually actively interested in persecuting it. So there's a lot of, you know, there could be a lot of reason for, for despair. But I, I think the main thing I want to just highlight today is that there's actually, um, there's always hope. And one of the hopeful things about this time in which we live is even if the sheer number of believers decreases, you know, those who do adhere to the Catholic faith are generally probably going to be more um, vibrant and active and joyful because they've had to really think it through, and, they, and they've had to fight the odds, you know, in order to stand up for it. So, well, I think we've done a pretty bang-up job of, of uh, summarizing this uh, from, Apost- from Christendom to Apostolic Mission book, I think, and we'd encourage listeners, maybe that's our little product thing. You know, no, it is. That's our, the stuff we like is the book. The stuff we like is the book, yeah. Yep, so you, you can find it on Amazon. It's published by the University of Mary. And it's only what is it here? Ninety-four pages. pages. Yeah, so it's 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 less than a hundred pages, and and it's a it's not a difficult read. It's a it's a profound read, but it's not a difficult read. So, anyway, very good. Well, should we wrap up with a prayer? Yes, sir. Well, we can pray in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So, Father Jesus, Holy Spirit, on this Divine Mercy Sunday, as we record this podcast, we thank you for the gift of your mercy. We thank you for the forgiveness that you extend to us. Help us to be compassionate and forgiving with others, especially with those that may feel like an enemy to us at this time. We're grateful for the opportunity to have talked about the faith today, and I just ask that you would bless each one of our listeners so that he or she might Uh, deepen uh, their friendship with you, Jesus, and might proclaim the gospel uh, in word and in deed. And so may the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit descend upon everyone and remain with them forever. Amen. Amen. And then we we can't, we would be remiss in, in, in um, this point from the book, mm. um, where St. Augustine says, they quote St. Augustine saying that God, um, God saving one sinner is a greater miracle than creating the entire world. Isn't that and an awesome statement? It is. It's awesome. And we can participate in that. Right, right. That's Amen. the beauty of it. Great. All right. See you, everybody.
next time, well, I won't see anybody because we're doing a podcast, but I hope that we'll encounter you again next time. And if you want to, uh, if you if you want to participate in the Apostolic Vision by sharing our podcast, if you think that this podcast is helpful, um, go share it. Yes, it's, amen. You can make it a part of the Apostolic Mission. Absolutely. Beautiful. What a great transition there. Great. Thank you. All right, folks. Um, have a happy Easter, Father. We'll talk yep. to you next week. You too, Jim. God bless and know of my prayers for Mom and Jen and you. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye.